0: And everything rebelling against God, that which is false, that which is demonic uh, and we see that uh, in chapters 13 and 14 we have the destruction of Babylon that is given to us as well as Jeremiah chapters 15 and 51 and then at the end of the Bible, Revelation chapter 17 and 18 we see that there is going to be religious Babylon that's going to be destroyed in the tribulation period as it is going to be that worldwide false church that will come on the scene first supported by the antichrist that's the 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 woman riding the beast and then the antichrist is going to turn on that false church and destroy it and that's when as paul writes in second thessalonians chapter two that the antichrist will exalt himself as god and that he will do it in the temple of god So as we put everything together, we left off. Let's read verse 13, first of all, of Isaiah 14. As we back up a little bit to set the stage for tonight. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of heaven. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farther sides of the north. And I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. And I will be like the Most High. And yet you shall be brought down to Sheol to the lowest depths of the pit. So, in this, most Bible interpreters and scholars believe that this is talking more than just the king of Babylon, Belshazzar, that ended up falling that night, as we read about in Daniel chapter 5. That you remember Daniel comes out and he reads the handwriting on the wall that Belshazzar, that, that you are going to be put to death tonight and your kingdom is going to fall to the Medes and the Persians. And that's what happened historically. Cyrus and the Persian troops came under the walls and they took over the city of Babylon. But this is talking about something much more than that because Babylon represents the world system. And we know that religious Babylon, all that which is false, which is deceptive, all that which is an abomination to God... And also commercial Babylon, everything worldly, the world system is all going to come to an abrupt end. You might recall Daniel chapter two and that vision of that image that Nebuchadnezzar saw that it was the head of gold that represented Babylon. And then it went on to represent that image in the different metals, (laughs) the four major empires that would come on the scene from the time of Daniel to the second coming of Jesus Christ. So Daniel chapter two and Daniel chapter seven is called the very foundation of the Bible prophecy. Chapter seven, Daniel sees the vision according to two different beasts. And of course, as we look at it, there is that rock that would hit that image in the feet and then it would crumble and then that rock would grow and that represents the kingdom of God. And here's the thing that we need to always keep in mind that the kingdoms of the world and Babylon is going to come to an end. All that which is false, religious Babylon, and then commercial Babylon's going to come to an end, and then God's going to establish his Kingdom, And that's going to be a kingdom that will last forever and forever. And we're a part of that kingdom. So what I pray is that we would always keep our, our hearts and our minds on eternity. Even as we are praying, you know, one of the verses that the Lord's really put on my heart, even before, you know, tonight, um, last week. And I think that he was just preparing my heart that he makes all things beautiful in his time. And he has put eternity into our hearts And he knows the beginning to the end. And he is going to make everything beautiful in his time. Because on this side of eternity, we go through tragedy, and we go through difficulty, and we go through loss, don't we? But he's put eternity into our hearts. And we are to keep an eternal perspective and to know that the Lord's going to come back and set everything right, and righteousness is going to cover the earth. as water's covered the sea, as Isaiah says. And I can't wait for that time. He knows the beginning to the end. And even though we don't understand everything that goes on, and as we go through the hurts and the loss and the wondering and the confusion and and all those things that, that we can go through in life, that I know that one day we're all going to be together. And as Revelation chapter 19 declares, we will be saying, Righteous and true are your decisions, O Lord. Righteous and true are your judgments and he's going to set everything right because he's put eternity into our hearts so here is it's more than just to follow the king of babylon but we know that satan it speaks of him for he's the one who fell you remember that it was the disciples and i don't know if i finished teaching this uh, before we went to christmas uh and and, uh, and the holiday break but you recall that in our Luke study, in chapter 10 of Luke, that Jesus sent the 70 out, and as he sent the 70 out, they came back, they were excited, they said, listen, we did all these miracles, even the demons were subject to us, and Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning to the earth, and you read that and you think, why did Jesus say that? He said that because I believe he was warning them against pride. Don't get prideful, guys, because I saw Satan fall like lightning to the earth, and we believe that this is speaking of him, that Satan at one time, the anointed you know, cherub that was in the garden, as Ezekiel chapter 28 tells us, that he said, I will ascend to heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the congregation. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. He had an eye problem. And in that, these five eyes here, we see that Satan wanted to exalt himself and be God. And when we get to the tribulation period, when we know that religious Babylon is going to be destroyed, the Antichrist being directly influenced by Satan himself, what you have in the book of Revelation is this unholy evil um, trinity of Satan, the dragon in Revelation 12, You have the Antichrist, the beast in Revelation chapter 13, and also the false prophet. The false prophet is going to be pointing to the Antichrist as he sets up an image of himself in the rebuilt temple according to Thessalonians chapter 2. And he's going to want to be worshipped. That's something that we see here that Satan has always wanted. The Antichrist is going to demand the world to worship him. And then we're going to see that he's going to heavily persecute the Jews who are going to, if we get to it, well, we probably won't get to it tonight, in chapter 16... And, and to a place, the rock city Petra, that's prophesied that we will see next time in chapter 16. And it's a very fascinating prophecy that we're going to look at um, probably next time. But here we see that we got to understand here's the thing that Satan is going to be brought down, yet you shall be brought down to Sheol to the lowest depths of the pit. And we know that when Jesus comes back in, in Revelation chapter 19, that the Antichrist and the false prophet are going to be thrown into the lake of fire, that final eternal place uh, of of damnation the outer darkness for all eternity now we also know that at that time satan is going to be thrown into the bottomless pit into sheol he's going to be brought down to the lowest depths of the pit that's that holding chamber that that the abuso that we also see that word mentioned in the new testament used several times that there is going to be satan that's going to be chained there and then at the end of the millennium reign he's going to be let out he'll lead one last rebellion and then god will crush that rebellion and all those who join in with him in that rebellion and then they will be cast into the outer darkness or into the lake of fire and then we have the great white throne judgment that's a study for another day but don't think listen don't think that satan is in hell we kind of have that picture and sometimes it's taught that way he is the prince of the power of the air he's the god little g of this world And he's going to and fro, as you recall in Job chapter 1, as the the sons of of men presented themselves before the throne, and Satan was with them. You you remember as we went through Job, or if you've read it yourself. And God asked Satan, Where have you been, Satan? He said, Oh, walking to and fro across the earth, going back and forth. Have you considered my servant Job? Oh, yeah, I've considered him. And you see, that word consider is that I've studied him. And Satan here is real. And there's a real spiritual battle that goes on. The enemy coming against us. He comes against your family. He comes against this church. He comes against whole cities and and, and nations, I believe. Matter of fact, verse 16, those of you, uh, those who see you will gaze at you and consider you saying, is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms, who made the world as a wilderness and destroyed its cities, who did not open the house of his prisoner?" So here is Satan the work that he did there's going to be a time where you know he's going to be looked at is this the one and they were amazed when all of a sudden Belshazzar, the king of Babylon, Babylon had taken over the known world at that time, crushed cities. They destroyed Jerusalem in 586 B.C. and Solomon's temple. And all of a sudden, shortly after 586 B.C. and 536 B.C., all of a sudden Babylon is gone and the king of Babylon is killed and, and He's the one that destroyed the cities, but again, a bigger picture here because the one who is really ruling over Babylon, this worldly system, and, and that is Satan. That he's the one that comes against and destroys cities and nations. We know that he's working overtime. He's working overtime in in communities. He's trying to get at our families. He he will come against you, and there's as Paul says. Our battle isn't against flesh and blood in Ephesians chapter 6, but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. I don't fully understand it all. But we need to know that it's true. And he's working overtime, isn't he? And I see the destruction that is coming to this world. and, And we look around and we get overwhelmed. And that's why it's so important for us as Christians that we be light, that we storm the darkness that we give truth that uh, because he is called, Jesus said that he's a liar. He's the father of lies. He's a murderer. He's a counterfeit. He can display himself. Second Corinthians, Paul says, as an angel of light, but he is one that is this. Dist- desiring he's called the destroyer that wants to destroy your life he wants to destroy your family he wants to destroy this church family he wants to destroy your marriage he wants to destroy your children he wants to destroy and get a foothold any way he can into your life and that's why it is so important that we don't go into his territory that you don't allow him to get a foothold in your life in compromise and in sin and in carnality and accepting that which is false and deceptive. So here is the one, Satan, that, that, as it says, who shook the kingdoms is the man who made the earth tremble. One of the tactics of the enemy that I have found is that he wants to bring fear into your life and into my life. And I don't know about you, maybe it's just me, but it seems like that every year I kind of go through this, that when I end the year, I look back at the Lord's faithfulness, but I can get a little bit anxious. And and, and I know the enemy wants to put fear into me at the beginning of the year. Lord, how's everything going to work and what's going to happen here? And what about that? And when it comes to, to all kinds of things, and he likes to use fear. And maybe you're here tonight. And maybe there's some kind of fear or being anxious that is in your heart because of what it is that you're facing. And I just want to say, I think that's the reason why 365 times that we were told in the scriptures not to be afraid. It's a a message for each day of the year that we have the Lord and that he is with us and that he is our refuge and our strength. He's everything that we need. And I know that fear can grip my heart and grip your heart. And it's in those times where we feared that we can say, Lord, you tell me I don't have to be afraid. That I can come and I can just trust in you and look to you for everything. And your message to me, even at the message of the birth of Jesus to those shepherds, the very first message was what? don't be afraid. And the very first message that we saw when we finished Luke's gospel at the resurrection there at the tomb to those women was what? Don't be afraid. And we don't have to be afraid because Jesus Christ came to this world and there was a purpose. He came and that was to die for you and for me. And he rose again and he's alive. And the message is the same. We don't have to be afraid. So here it speaks of something of Satan that that he became prideful, tells us how terrible the sin of pride is. Let's continue on in verse 18 that all the kings of the nations, all of them sleep in glory, everyone in his own house, but you are cast out of your grave like an, an abominable branch, like the garment of those who are slain, thrust through with the sword, who go down to the stones of the pit like a corpse trodden underfoot. You will not be joined with them in burial because you have destroyed your land and slain your people the brood of evildoers shall never be named prepare slaughter for his children because of the iniquity of their fathers unless they rise up and possess the land and fill the face of the world with cities and so belshazzar when he was killed by the medes and the persians he was not put into a tomb of the kings he was actually tossed out into the street to be trampled on in verse 22 as we end this proclamation against babylon For I will rise up against them, says the Lord of hosts, and cut off from Babylon the name and the remnant and offspring and posterity, says the Lord. I will also make it a possession for the porcupine and marshes of muddy water. And I will sweep it with the broom of destruction, says the Lord of hosts. And so God will destroy Babylon. We know, again, Revelation chapter 17 and chapter 18, religious Babylon and then commercial Babylon will be destroyed right before the second coming of jesus christ and uh, one of the things again to remind you that there's a lot of debate particularly as you go to jeremiah chapters 15 51 we read here that that babylon is going to be destroyed it's the destruction is going to be likened to sodom and gomorrah and we know that sodom and gomorrah back in the book of genesis was destroyed by fire and brimstone so Babylon was never destroyed in that way. When Cyrus again and the Medes and the Persians came into Babylon, they killed Belshazzar, threw him into the streets. They killed a lot of people there, but they didn't destroy the city. The the city would uh, just kind of fall apart and and, uh, be in in decay. And so the, the prophecies here that Babylon is going to be destroyed like Sodom and Gomorrah, Jeremiah's prophecies say the same thing. There's a debate among scholars whether Babylon, perhaps you've heard this, is going to be rebuilt and become this commercial center that will be destroyed in Revelation chapter 18. I don't necessarily believe that Babylon has to be rebuilt there between the Euphrates and Tigris River in Iraq um, because Babylon, again, speaks of something much bigger than just an ancient city, but it speaks of a worldly system uh, that is going to be destroyed as the merchants. we're going to watch that destruction happen as you read Revelation chapter 18 in one hour. So that, that's what uh, that um, kind of the conclusion I've come to. There are those who have disagreed with that, but that's fine. And then as we go to Assyria being destroyed in verses 24 through 27, this proclamation against Assyria that has already we have seen, but more addition is given here that the Lord of hosts has sworn, saying, Surely I have thought, so it shall come to pass. And as I have purposed, so it shall stand. And that I will break the Assyrian in my land and on my mountains tread him underfoot. Then his yoke shall be removed from them and his burden removed from their shoulders. Verse 26, this is the purpose that is uh, purposed against the whole earth. And this is the hand that is stretched out over all the nations. For the Lord of hosts has purpose, and who will annul it? His hand is stretched out And who will turn it back? And as we read these verses here, uh, judgment on Assyria, verse 24, we can be sure, uh, I like verse 24, the Lord of hosts has sworn, and surely I have thought, so it shall come to pass. Keep this in mind, that the promises of God, the prophecies of God are gonna come to pass. Heaven and earth will pass away, but Jesus said, my words will not pass away. And we know every dot and tittle is going to be fulfilled. And that brings me great comfort. Because I know that God is going to complete that work. And he's going to keep his promises that are given to us in this word. And we can trust in his word. And I love the promise of, again, when I become fearful and I begin to think, Lord, you know, uh, what's going to happen in this situation? or Lord, what about the ministry? Or, or how is this going to turn out? That I can go to Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 this Paul writes that being confident of this very thing that he has begun a good work in you will bring it to completion especially in the day of Christ Jesus listen you can be confident that what he has begun in you he's going to bring it to completion and sometimes i think oh lord you know do you see what i'm going through do you know what it is that i'm experiencing but we can be confident as this very thing that he who has begun a good work, Paul's saying there's no doubt about it, that he's going to bring it to completion. And that causes me the rest, that Lord, you're going to see me through. I don't have to strain. I don't have to struggle. I don't have to try to make things happen. I don't have to fret and worry and be anxious and full of fear. But I can rest in that promise that you are going to bring it to pass what it is that you want to do in my life. I just want to be aligned with you and sensitive to you. And, and Lord, I just want to be surrendered to you so you can use me to the fullest. But you are going to bring that work to completion. And you're going to see me through and he's going to see you through as well. Because he promises to do that. And then in verse 28, Philistia being destroyed. This is the burden which came to in the year to king Ahaz died. Remember the year the king Ahaz died. That that um, that Ahaz was a terrible, terrible king, that brought great uh, you know difficulty to the nation because of his t- disobedience. But do not rejoice, all of you Philistia, because the rod that struck you is broken. Now the serpent's roots will come forth a viper, and its offspring will be a Fiery flying serpent, the firstborn of the poor will feed, and the needy will lie down in safety. I will kill your roots with famine, and it will slay your remnant. Wail, O gate! Cry, O city! All you of Philistia (coughs) are dissolved. For smoke will come from the north, and no one will be alone in his appointed times. So judgment is going to come to the Philistines. You can read Second Kings and Second Chronicles. Um, It was Uzziah. Uzziah who was a godly king it was in the year that Uzziah died that Isaiah would begin his ministry you recall chapter 6 but Uzziah conquered much of the Philistines Uh, we know that he conquered second chronicles chapter 26 Gath and Ashdod which were two major cities of the Philistines and when Ahaz then comes on the scene the Philistines recaptured some of their territory back you recall that during the reign of Ahaz, Assyria came down and, and, and a couple hundred thousand soldiers of uh, I believe 120,000 actually were, were killed in battle and 200,000 were taken off into captivity. It was horrible times during the days of Ahaz. But after Ahaz comes Hezekiah. Hezekiah, who was a godly king, he comes on to sing. And, and 2 Kings 18 tells us that he subdued the Philistines. And then in verse 32, what will they answer? The messengers of the nation that the Lord has found at Zion and the poor of his people shall take refuge in it. When you read that word, Zion is speaking of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is God's chosen city and it, it will be evident for everyone to see eventually uh, we know that Jerusalem has been in the news lately with the declaration by our president that they, we recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel and the whole world is, you know, is debating that and upset over it and it's going to continue because Zechariah tells us that Jerusalem is going to be a cup of trembling to all the nations. And so that is really the epicenter uh, of uh, how everything's going to culminate is the whole, you know, issue of Jerusalem and then more importantly, the whole Temple Mount area, which is really the epicenter center of of God's program uh, that we're going to see. So Jerusalem is a hot topic, and we see that in the scriptures. But you need to keep in mind, through all the debate and the geopolitical analysis and all of this, God says, Zion belongs to me. And I have chosen Zion and we need to keep that in mind. Let's go quickly in chapter 15. Now the proclamation against Moab. Now Moab uh, this burden against Moab because in the night, verse 1 tells us our of Moab is laid waste and destroyed because in the night Ker of Moab is laid waste and destroyed. He's gone up to the temple of Dabon to the high places to weep. Moab will wail over Nebo and over Mediba and all their heads will be baldness and every beard cut off and in their streets they will clothe themselves with sackcloth on the tops of their houses and in their streets everyone will wail weeping bitterly heshbon and Elia will cry out their voice shall be heard as far as jay has. and therefore the armed soldiers of moab will cry out his life will be a burdensome to him. And so this burden against Moab. Now we know that Moab came about in Genesis chapter 19. Remember Lot when he's leaving Sodom and uh, he would leave with his wife who ended up looking back and turning into a pillar of salt. And, and then he would go to the mountains and he would end up having this incestuous relationship with his daughters. And from that came the Moabites and the Ammonites. And the Moabites, what is interesting, that oftentimes they were very hostile to, to Israel, to God's people. We see that throughout their history. We know that in the book of Numbers, that Balak, uh, king of Moab, hired well, who? Balaam, right? And uh, Balaam to come and prophesy against the children of Israel, yet he couldn't do it. We know that in the days of the judges, that Eglon, the king of Moab, oppressed Israel during that time. But also, even though there's hostility of Moab against Israel, there is also time of of Moab and Israel having good relationships. Or there's this... this, tenderness that Moab kind of has towards Israel in other words that Moab when you go to Bethlehem and you you can go to actually Jerusalem or to Bethlehem and you can stand there and you look over to the east and you're looking across the Jordan Valley and there in the Jordan Valley is the Dead Sea and the Dead Sea is the lowest uh, place on the face of the earth and the, the Jordan River runs into the Dead Sea but there's no outlet There's no outlet because it's the lowest place on the face of the earth. There's no way the water can run out so it evaporates and so usually it's very very hazy but I remember one of the times that we were there uh, we were staying near Bethlehem at the Hotel Rachel and it was taking a walk in the early morning just happened to be kind of clear and you can look across the Jordan Valley and you can look at the mountains of where Jordan is and that's where Moab was and that's of course where Ruth came from right And Ruth came over from Moab and came to Bethlehem with uh, her mother-in-law and said that your God will be my God. And the wonderful story of Ruth that is told to us in the Old Testament. And Ruth, of course, became, I believe, the great-grandmother of David. And it's an incredible story that is there. And then David, when he was being pursued by Saul, as we know in 1 Samuel, that David would send his family over to Moab because he knew that they would be safe there. So they weren't always hostile towards Israel. And there's some tender moments that we see in the scriptures. Ruth, of course, in the line of Messiah being the great-grandmother of, of, um, of David. And uh, it's, it's, it's just Moab was there. And the Ammonites were to the north. But here we see this prophecy against Moab. And in verse 5: And my heart will cry out for Moab, his fugitives shall flee to Zoar like a three-year-old heifer. And for the ascent of uh, uh, Luhith, they will go up with weeping. And for in the way of Horan-Naam, They will rise up for a cry of destruction and the waters of Nimrim uh, will be desolate for the green grass has withered away and the grass fails, there is nothing green and therefore the abundance they have gained and what they have laid up, they will carry away by the brook of the willows. For the cry has gone out around the borders of Moab and is wailing to Igliam, and is wailing to Elam, And the waters of Demon will be full of blood because I will bring more upon Demon lines upon him who escapes from Moab, and on the remnant of the land so as we read this we see that moab would be devastated by the assyrians they would flee to zoar which is about 30 miles away to the southern end of the red sea but notice here that in verse 5 isaiah is weeping for moab in this judgment that he says my heart will cry out for moab And that caught my attention as I was just reading through this right before the service started, just really quickly trying to get kind of a little bit focused on the teaching. And it reminded me of this, that what I pray is that in the days in which we are living in, when we see the things going on around us, it can frustrate us, can't we? And sometimes we think, Lord, bring your judgment But when we see what is going on, that we would weep. Sometimes I talk to Christians, it's like, I can't wait till God comes and just judges and destroys and wipes everybody out. And, you know, I'm looking forward to the coming of the Lord. But you remember that it was in Luke chapter 10, when those 70 came back, that Jesus is in now Judea. He's left Galilee for the last time. He set his face to go to Jerusalem. And then I just picture him, he's looking up north and he begins to pronounce judgment on Chorazin and Bethsaida. And, and he, he says, O Capernaum. And his, he's pronouncing judgment. And, and, and Jesus is, is saying these things that are so heavy that are there. And, and it really struck me because woe to and woe to you, Bethsaida. For the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it'd be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. You, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. And, and Jesus, as he's saying this, you got to understand that Peter and, and Philip and James and John, who are from that area, most of the disciples are from that area they're hearing this and I think Jesus is weeping. The mighty works that you saw but you would not believe. In Capernaum the town of Jesus he walked in Capernaum for three years and for three years Capernaum was the Holy of Holies where the presence of Almighty God was he knew the people there he knew the children he knew the homes he was in their homes he spent more time in capernaum than any other place and as he's looking i'm sure that he's weeping oh if you would only known the mighty works that you have seen but yet you didn't believe and i hope that we have compassion in our hearts And when we see others, yes, we can get frustrated and we can get angry and and all these emotions we feel, but more than anything, they would cause us to weep in our hearts, to weep for people who don't know the Lord and to say, I want to bring as much as I can truth and light to them. And I pray that's our heart as a congregation, that we would have a heart for the lost. Not contempt, but a heart. And yes, we're going to give the message that there needs to be repentance. And we're going to give the message that God is going to come and judge sin and that hell is real, but we would weep and give that message of the love and compassion of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus said, You remember that James and John in in chapter 9, they wanted to call down fire on those villages of Samaria that didn't believe. And, you know, here's James and John, the sons of thunders. Should we call down fire and consume these people? Have you ever felt that way? (coughs) Jesus said, You don't know what spirit you're from. For I didn't come to destroy men, but to save. And so, Father, we thank you for. Being able to cover these chapters, and Lord, as we now take a moment and come to the communion table, to, again, that we would remember of the living hope that we have through Jesus Christ. And as we hold the elements, I just pray that tonight we would continue and just in just the next few moments in a time of worship and thanking you, that we have eternity in our hearts, knowing that Jesus came and died for our sins and rose again, and we have the promise the promise of eternal life and forgiveness of sin and right relationship with the Father and what Jesus did for us. That it would have caused us to have compassion for others and that this would be a year, Lord, that we would look to you for everything, trust in you, not be full of fear or anger, but, Lord, to, to rest in your love and to express that love to others. In Jesus' name.